Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Well, here we are yet again for the third night. We got several more to go, and I'm excited about that because I love RVR. Like several, several more to go. Seven, yeah, bonus camp. No, no, just several more to go. And uh, so anyways, I got to see the horsey people in action today, petting their horses, brushing their horses, neighing with the horses. Seriously, you should go up there. They're like, that's how they get their horse. Just kidding. None of that happened. None of that happened. Anyways, um, pretty cool stuff. And I hope you guys had a blast today as well. So I want to tell you a story that happened a few years ago. My kids were super little at the time. Uh, Leia was still in a car seat, and Luke was just a little bit bigger than that. He, was, he probably had one of the little boosters. Maybe not. He might have been older than that. I don't know. Time flies when you're old. But um, we were driving down the road, and I had to go speak somewhere. We were going to Virginia from North Carolina. So if, you just, if this was a map for a second, we live right here, and we have to go this way and then this way because that's where all the major highways are. And on the way over this way towards Greensboro, uh, my wife's driving. We had switch, we switch off a little bit when we drive sometimes, and, and she started saying her back hurts, which is usually code for, can you drive for me, you know? Uh, so I was like, oh, okay, pull over. But the, she's like really got that grimacey look on her face, like, my back. Anyway, so like, I'm like, let's pull over, but we couldn't find an exit. We're like in between exits. You ever see one of those signs that it's like, um, next rest area, 40 miles, and you, you just passed the one, and then you notice the sign, you're like, I have to hold it, how long? But that's kind of how it was, and there were no exits. And we see this little gravel, what looked like a driveway, but it went to nowhere. Just a little, and we pulled down that, and as we, right before we started pulling down that, I started to smell something in our car. And uh, it's like one of those smells where you ask, who did that? Oh my goodness, this is an enclosed area. Crack a window, like really before it cracks on its own, you know? And so we're like rolling the windows down. No one's claiming it. And it smells like rotten eggs or at least hard-boiled eggs, but just the middle. If you took out the little yellow part, somebody cooked it a little too long. So it's green around the edges, you know what I'm talking about? Shoved it up both nostrils. That's what it smelled like. And we pulled down this this little gravelly road and stopped. And I'm just like, man, I, I realize it's not us. It's the car itself. So I get out, and I pop the hood, and I go stand in front of the hood like any man would to pretend like I know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at, you know, I see what we did there. Yeah, there are the things connected to those things, and that's what's poss- probably making a car run. Anyways, like, I don't know anything about cars. I know, that, I know what a battery is. I can see certain things that I recognize. Like, I know what blinker fluid is. I'm just kidding. That's not a thing. So I'm looking at all this stuff, and, and I start to see, see physically see yellowish-looking smoke, sulfur and smell, coming out from the battery. The top of the battery has got like this little, this little piece around it, and all the smoke's coming out, and it, I can hear it gurgling. Like, like a, I'm not an expert, but that sounds like it might blow up. And it stinks, so if it blows up, it's going to be bad. So I'm trying to lower the hood a little and still look at it so that if it explodes, it won't get on my face. I just have battery acid that eats me from here down. People are like, what happened to you? My face still looks okay. Anyway, so out of the corner of my eye, my wife walks past me, and I'm thinking she just wants to get away from the smell and leave our children in it, which isn't the nicest thing to do. But that's not what the problem was. There was other gurgling that had been happening that I was unaware of because I, I couldn't hear it over the gurgling of the battery. It was the gurgling of my wife's stomach. And as I turned this way a little bit to see how far she's walking, thinking maybe she's trying to get a cell signal because I couldn't get a cell signal, she's over here hurling on the ground. Oh! You know, she's like, 
Oh no, my car's about to blow up. My wife is currently blowing up. Things are blowing up in my life. And I don't know what to do because I need, I need, I don't have AAA. I need somebody to come get my car potentially. I don't know if you can drive without a battery. Hint, no. Um, I don't know if you, if you can like keep on, if I can raise two kids without a wife. Hint, no. All right, so like I just, like what is happening? I don't know what her, what her deal is. Like why is she, and she's now holding like right here. And I'm thinking, oh, no, her appendix are going to burst or something. And if her appendix bursts, then she, that really is literally the definition of blowing up. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, that, no, I'm like, are you okay? What is going on? Get back in the car. We got to get you in the car. We got to get you to a hospital. I don't know where the hospital is. I pull out a map. And this isn't the same kind of map because the maps that they have, this is a road atlas from 2019 for America, the whole thing. Unless they change any roads, which they already have, <laughs> since this has been published, it's already out of date. That's what paper does, all right? And so back then, we had like a, a physical map, and you could only open it once, because they weren't made to be refolded. Some people could do it, but they were ninjas, origami geniuses. I couldn't get them back together. And, and you, so I had one of those maps, and I undid it and everything, and I'm looking at it, and I, I, I know that we are on, um, I don't even remember, 40, that's where we were, 40 East. I find it. It goes from this end of the state to that end of the state. It actually keeps going into Tennessee. All right, this is great. I have no idea where we are. I find our hometown, and I find Greensboro, and I'm somewhere between them. An hour and a half somewhere between them. I'm looking as close as I can, but I don't find this little gravelly road to nowhere. This driveway like somebody had intended to build something down there, and it was like, eh, it's too steep. Let's, let's abandon the project. We couldn't find... What is that? Uh, yeah, I thought I heard a maraca. <laughs> and you have to check for rattlesnakes, yes, just in case. If we were in Mississippi, I'd, it's a real fear. It's a real fear. Okay, so here I am, like, figuring out, trying to figure out what to do. I'm thinking, I'm going to bank on the fact that maybe my battery can get us a little further down the road, and if nothing else, it blows up. We're actually on the highway. Somebody sees us and, and helps us. So we get back in the car. I pop the hood just a little bit because my thinking was, just the wind itself would cool the battery down a little bit coming in there. It's not a bad plan, but it was forcing all this yellow smoke out like, like we're doing some kind of really cool show with lights and stuff. But there's no light under there. That's just the color of the smoke coming out. And I, I learned later that there's cells within those batteries, and if one explodes in there, like the bursts in there, it can start to eat through all the rest of it, and pretty soon it's just a sulfury mess. We get to the hospital. Fortunately, as we were driving, I started seeing, within just a few miles, signs, the big H, the blue H thing. I think the H is in blue or the H is in white. The blue and white sign. It doesn't matter. If you see an H, you know what it means. Heaven. No, hospital. All right. And so we turn off where the hospital is. We start seeing the H and arrows. We go to the hospital. The car smells like rotten eggs. We pull in right up front. They come out like, what's going on, you know, at the emergency room? And like looking at our car, like, I hope that's not the lady. I don't want to do an operation on that. All right, so, no, that's my car. You know, they take my wife inside to try to help her, and I, I know that we have to figure out something with a car. Now, had I had one of these little handy-dandy bad boys, GPS, anybody have a TomTom -tom at home? All right, none of you, great. Just me? This, here it is. You, yes. Any Garmin's in the house? Okay, how many people are from this century and use Google Maps? Or Waze? Or Apple Maps. I'm an Apple Maps guy. We hardly ever turn this thing on unless we want to save data. 
All right, like, I mean, that's it. Anybody print out the map quest at home? You're like, if we turn wrong, we won't know what happens. All right, so like, we get there, right? And I get on the phone and I start to call auto parts places. I call Advance Auto Parts. I don't even know why they answered the phone. They said they were already closed for the night. Then why are you talking to me? Just don't answer it after you lock the doors. AutoZone couldn't help me. I get on with O'Reilly. You guys have that, right? O'Reilly. You guys are geniuses. How did you remember your line? Anyway, so I call the O'Reilly guy. I don't even know if he knows the real O'Reilly or if there is a real O'Reilly or if it's just a ploy to get my business to make it sound like, oh, you can trust old O'Reilly. You know you can. Anyway, so sorry, Timber. I probably botched that wherever he is. I'm not too good with the Irish. Anyways. So I call him, I'm I'm like, dude, here's what I need you to do, and it's going to sound really weird. I need you to bring me a car battery. And he was like, sir, we don't do that. We don't deliver. I was like, I know you don't deliver. I want you to deliver to me. He said, we're about to close. It's like almost 10 o'clock. We're about to close. I was like, that's perfect. After you close, leave the store. Get in your car with the car battery I need and bring it to me. I'm at the hospital. <laughs> now, that sounds weird. Like I'm call- He's probably imagining I'm calling from like the psych ward. Sir, we need car batteries. <laughs> Can you bring me car batteries? And he's like, no, we can't do that. What do you mean? I'm in the hospital. No, it's okay. I'm, I'm normal. You know? Whatever. I don't know what he's thinking on the other end. He's like, I, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. It's like, oh, I get it. Okay. okay I-, I want you to listen to me very carefully. I won't kill you. There's nobody here waiting to kill you. No one's going to jump you. You can case the parking lot first. It's well lit. No one's going to hurt. I, I'll give you my credit card number over the phone. And you can do one of two things with it. You can take what? Yeah. I mean, as far as, I don't know if it's word for word exactly what I said. He's like, is that exactly what you said? It's been years, man. That's pretty close to what I said, yes. I said, you can do one of two things with my credit card. You can use it to buy anything you want online, and I would never know, you know, until later and you could totally rip me off. I'm trusting you on your end. Or you can use it to see that I'm legit and purchase the car battery before you close down the register for the night and bring me that car battery. My wife's in the hospital. She's in pain. She might even be dead. I don't know. (laughs) This got dark quick. (laughs) I didn't know. She could have died. She could be dead right now. Are you still back there? Okay, good. All right. You just never know, all right? It's getting darker. Okay. Not just because it's later. All right. So anyways, he said, okay, I'll do it. I'm like, yes. So he shows up with the car battery and some tools to move the, take the car battery. He's like, your car battery, your battery's gurgling. I was like, I told you it was gurgling on the phone. And so we take it out and everything. And I'm like, where do you want me to put it? He's like, in your car. That's not going in my car. That thing might explode. I was like, I have small children. He's like, I know, but I really can't. I've already done enough. I was like, you really have done enough. I tipped him and everything. We put it in a Walmart bag, then we put it in a couple trash bags that we had in our car in the back just for mess-ups because when you've got a kid that's still in a, uh, in a car seat, they could have a blow-up too, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it always goes up too. That's why they call it a blow-up. Some people call it a blow-out, but it should just always be a blow-up because it's always up their back. You're like, what is the problem? Put on the diaper, cinch a belt around it, and tie that bad boy down. That's how you do it. So I put the car battery in the back. I look up at the hospital as O'Reilly dude is pulling off. 
and all of the lights are out in the hospital, just emergency lights, and there's some weird siren I've never heard before. I also hear other sirens coming from other directions. Not bringing people to the hospital, I don't think. Just, that's what the hospital's doing. And there's these lights, like strobe lights, and I can see them in the, in the windows, but I can tell all the windows, like I, I can tell the regular lights are off in the hospital. And meanwhile, my wife had to tell me later, She's in there, like she started to feel better. She actually had a kidney stone, which is similar to passing a very tiny baby if the tiny baby was made of barbed wire, okay? Ah! And so she has this kidney stone, and it actually moved through some tube or whatever, and then it was like, fine. She, didn't, she was like, I think I'm good now. Like, I, I, I'm fine. They're like, no, 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 you're not good because they need our money. So they put her in a room. They're going to do some tests and charge me 1000 bucks, and they really did. All right, so they put her in this room, and then somebody came by while she's in the room and shut the door and said, don't open this door no matter what you hear. And people are running back and forth in the hospital, and she's thinking zombies or something is happening. You know, am I going to see my family again? All this stuff. They got all that back on. Our car's um, back to normal. I finally get my wife out hours later, and we had to Virginia, and we find out on the way to Virginia that um, a, car, a car had been crushed by a tree in the highway. Like a tree like this big around just decided, like, that's the one. Boom! <laughs> and just crushed it. Like way too close to the highway and everything. We were, we, it was another three hours in traffic. But I don't even remember what time we got there because the O'Reilly guy got there at 10 and you had all that stuff together. Anyways, really, really early in the morning when we finally got where we were going, and it's one of those things, like, the, 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 the thing that freaked me out the most, well, I'll say the, the lights in the hospital is kind of freaky. But I, I know there's nothing I, can, there's nothing I can do about that. And I know that my wife is in the best hands possible there. Doctors, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, when I got the O'Reilly guy on the phone, I knew as long as I kept him on the phone, I could probably convince him. I used to be in sales. I was even a telemarketer. And I could convince people that they wanted stuff that they didn't want. And there they were. I was like, yes, yes, you do need it. Yes, you do. Oh, you're bald? It's still a great hairbrush, sir. Anyways, like, I was good at that kind of stuff. I knew, I, I knew there was hope as long as I was on the phone. The most hopeless I felt in the entire situation was when I opened the map up and I had no idea where I was. That was it. Because I knew, I, as a dad, as a father, I wanted to solve the situation, but I didn't know where to get help. I didn't know where I was starting from. When I was a kid, the malls had just started putting those maps up to help you. But they didn't, for several years, didn't add that little part that says, you are here. That wasn't there. You had to figure it out. You had to be like, there's Yankee Candle, Cinnabon, triangulating the sense oh, I'm going to get a migraine. You know, like, I mean, you just figure it out by where you are and you're trying to figure out how to get to GameStop or whatever you're trying to figure out how to get to. That's how you did it. And then some, some genius is like, you are here. That's the beauty of GPS. It tells you where you are. The first GPS I got, the car on the screen was red and our car was red. And I was like, how does it know? It did. It's just a coincidence. You know, like, but it tells you where you're at. And when you know where you are, you know how to go the next distance and, and where, to, where to go from there because you're like, you know where you're starting from. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, how do I know when I've stopped? If you say, well, it's, it's 20 miles from such and such. And you're like, well, where's such and such? Am I at such and such? Am I somewhere else? Where is it? Like figuring out in life where we are, what we're supposed to be doing is hard to do when bad stuff starts piling up. And figuring out who we are and where we are is the key to figuring out where we need to go. 
Jesus never had a moment where he didn't understand who he was and what he was here to do. Never once was he like, why am I here again? These ungrateful people? Nah, I'm out. He knew what he was here for. All the passage we've been looking at is like him telling it, just like he grabbed that scroll and he started reading that scroll and everything. It was him saying, this is what I'm here to do. This is my mission. I'm never going to lose sight of my mission. I read a book a few years ago that's a Hebrew word. It's called Kazon, and it's Hebrew for, for vision. And you start in that book with your epitaph or your eulogy, what you would want people to say if you died. It's kind of creepy, but I'm like, I don't know. I started to write down, like, things I think they would say, and then I kept reading. It says, no, not what you think they would say, what you want them to say. And I went through and I wrote down what I wish people would say, and I knew that's not what they would say if I died right then. Then it starts working on your core values, like who you are, and, and trying to figure out, okay, this is my core value. Like if you, if you found out somebody got arrested, a child molester got a, arrested or something, and they were only going to get three years in prison, and that just incensed you. You're so angry. You're like, what in the world? That guy should never see the light of day again. Your core value might be justice. Maybe you found out some guy was going to get the death penalty, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. What if he wanted to change? Maybe your core value is mercy. Everybody's got different core values. It helped me figure out my core values and then work on a personal mission statement for my life that I revisit every couple months. I keep it in a safe <laughs> with like important documents, birth certificates, my marriage license, things like that. I pull it out and I read it. And I make sure that what I'm doing currently still fits who God's created me to be and what he's called me to be. It was a you are here moment for me. This is where I am. And then God calling me further. I never wanted to look at a map again spiritually and not know where I was on it. And not just aimlessly doing good because good is something we should do and it's a high aim for everybody. So good, 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 good. We can do good at the expense of the best. Maybe that's not the best that I could be doing with my life. And I wanted to know that Jesus never had that moment where he was like, ah, this is, oh, that's right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. In Isaiah 61, we'll look at the first couple of verses again, and then tomorrow we'll break into the next two. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives, like we talked about yesterday, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the, <coughs> excuse me, hmm. proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. See, Jesus wasn't just like, hey, you're going to get over it one day, I'm going to free you from this. He wants us to know that he's here for us in our pain. That even when that kind of stuff is going on, and I didn't believe at that time, I wasn't like, <coughs> excuse me, oh, God's got this, it's okay, get it back in the car, honey. I was freaking out. But God was hurting for us. He knew that. I don't know, maybe that, car, maybe that tree would have fell in our car. I have no idea what God was saving us from or what he worked out of it. I know that he was giving me something I could share later. Nothing bad really happens to pastors, just future sermon illustrations and stories we could use. Um, sometimes it's bad. But Jesus never had that moment <coughs> where he said, you know what? I'm out. I don't want anything to do with these people. He was always here to go with us through our trials. That's what he wants to do for you. He wants to walk with you through anything that you could go through. 
And I'm telling you, he gets it. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he looked out at everybody who was there. And by that time, his earthly mom, Mary, was a widow. He had watched Joseph die at some point. And he asked his best friend on, on earth, a guy named John, who wrote the book of John and Revelation and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he asked him to take care of his mom. And he said, and mom, this is your new son. Like he was just making sure she was taken care of. He knew what it was like to lose a parent. He knew what it was, it was like to be betrayed by friends who were close to him. He knew what it was like for people not to believe in him, for people to laugh at him, for people to hurt him. And his response was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And sometimes we think about the stuff Jesus went through on the cross. Maybe you've heard of some of it. Maybe you haven't. <clears throat> One of the Roman punishments back then that often took people's life was beating them with a whip that contained like glass and rock and pieces like that they would tie on the end just to inflict damage on people, just to hurt people. A lot of times that would kill people. And Jesus made it through that. Almost dead. The Bible says that his face was unrecognizable by the time he was on the cross. They had beat him so badly. And we think about that like that's the worst thing that happened to him. But the worst thing that happened to Jesus is the same verse I told you yesterday, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he became our sin for us who never knew any sin so you could become God's righteousness. That's the worst thing that happened to him. How do I know that? Because that's the thing that he was the most stressed about the night before. You think Jesus was stressed? Jesus gets what it's like to experience stress? Yeah, absolutely. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his friends, knowing that any moment one of his closest friends on the planet Earth was going to come in with a bunch of soldiers who had betrayed him for some money. And they were going to take him away, and he was going to be brutally beat. He's going to go through a bunch of scandalous mock trials at night that weren't real, like couldn't even hold up legally because they wanted to railroad this thing through and to kill him. And he was going to let them do it because he wanted to be that sacrifice for us. And he knew that was about to happen, and he's praying by himself. And he prayed not just for the ones that God had already given him, his disciples, but for the ones that would one day believe. That's us. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he was praying for you. If you're going to do that at some point in your life, he was praying for you. And he started to pray for us and think about that stuff that he would go through and, and taking on our sin for us. And the Bible said that he began to sweat drops of blood. And for years, critics of the Bible said, oh, that's impossible. Until they started seeing real cases of that happen with people. And scientists tell us that when the body is under extreme stress, just because this hasn't happened to you doesn't mean you've never been stressed. But there's a point that the body can't handle it, and the capillaries that are in our forehead will burst and come out through the pores. And he was literally sweating blood. And that usually leads to an aneurysm or a stroke if you're under that kind of stress and just kills you. But for some reason, and we know the reason, Jesus kept going. He said, no one is ever going to take my life from me. I'm going to lay it down willingly. And so what held Jesus on the cross wasn't, it wasn't the nails. It was love. He could have sent the nails flying back out of his wrists and feet. He could have stepped down off that cross. He could have just walked right through them. He could have done anything. He could have been like, I'm out. I went back to heaven. Especially when people are spitting at you and mocking you. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Because you were too important. 
And just like you were on his mind in that garden, you were on his mind on the cross. He thought about you. He thought about what he made you for, what he designed you for, what you were capable of, the friendship he could have with you, that he would never force on, force on you because it's, it's free will that we get to choose him or not choose him. And he thought it was worth it. He thought you were worth it. And that's the God we're talking about this week. The one that would willingly lay his life down. Now, we might say with our friends, man, oh, yeah, my friends, yeah, we die for each other and stuff. But have you lately? You know, like, he really already did. He really already did. He already proved his love for us. And he wants to install in us this kind of God positioning system where he says, here's who you are and where you really are. And I want to take you on this journey that I've mapped out for you in advance. And even when we hit the hard stuff, like we talked last night, that valley of the shadow of death, he said, just keep facing me. Let's keep the shadows at our back. I'm going to be with you through it. That guy I told you about um, earlier this week in my hometown that had fallen out of the back of the truck, he passed away. All of his organs started shutting down. He was in a coma, and he passed away. And come to find out, some kids in my youth group, one of them is a next-door neighbor to him. A couple of them play on the football team with them and everything. And my town's not going through this thing right now where they're hopeless. Because this kid knew Jesus, and his faith was so strong in God, and his family's faith was so strong in God, that I, I, I keep hearing people, I, I'm trying to call and comfort kids, you know. And they're like, oh, no, 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 Jesus has got him now. Like, he's smiling in heaven, and you wouldn't believe his smile here, because I never got to meet him. But imagine what his smile is like when he got to see Jesus. And I know they might feel differently after the funeral, and there's different stages of grief, but there's, there's, a, there's a peace that's there. Because they know who he was. They knew where he was. And you could look on a spiritual map and be like, oh, this is where Gavin is right here. We know where he is. He's in the arms of Jesus. And I've, heard, I've, I've been to a lot of churches that I've heard some things before. They kind of make you think. And at middle school, I never once in middle school thought I could die. I don't know if I thought I was Superman or what, but I didn't think, I never thought about that. People would be like, what if you died? If I died, I'm not 90. Or in middle school, I'd probably say, I'm not 40, you know, because you know, that seemed like 90. It might as well have been. I even made a deal with a girl in ninth grade that if neither, we were just best friends, and neither one of us wanted to date each other. But if we weren't married by 28, we would marry each other because we didn't want to be alone for the rest of our life. 28 seemed like, oh, my goodness, we might as well give up, all right? And so, I mean, that's really how we thought back then. I never thought about it. Never came to my mind. And so when pastors would say stuff, and I wasn't a believer at your age. Yes, I copy. I don't know why, but I wasn't a believer at your age. I hadn't given my life to Jesus yet. So when I heard pastors say things like, hey, if you die without Jesus, you'll be separated from him for eternity. Or if you come to know Jesus, you'll get to be with him in heaven for eternity. I'd hear those things, and it would just kind of go off the top of my head and roll down my back and be done, because that's later. And I didn't understand that that was true, but it wasn't all the truth. See, all of the truth is this. If you don't know Jesus, you're separated from him now. And when your body wears out one day, whatever that happens to be, whether it's like Gavin, who was only 15, or whether it's at 95, when my body finally wears out, that separation would continue. That's the tragedy. 
is that we're separated now, not one day. And if I come to know Jesus, or if you know Jesus, you don't get to be friends with him when you die. You get to be friends with him now and truly live. And when your body wears out, he'll keep his promise that he was never going to leave you, never say he wouldn't know you, and he would bring you to be with him. And that's the really cool thing about what God offers. Let me pray for you guys tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your love, love that held you on the cross for us. God, you wouldn't come down for anything. And I believe, I truly believe, that if just one person in this room, whoever's listening to my voice at this moment, if just that person was the only person on this planet, you would still give your life in exchange for them. You love us that much. We don't have to earn it. We couldn't if we tried. You just freely give it. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that through you we can know exactly where we are and that you, you are there in the midst of the morning that we go through when we're struggling, when we're hurting, that you want to walk through that with us. You want to hold us up. We were never meant to endure that kind of pain without you. So we thank you for your love for us, God, for students in here who may not have um, accepted your free gift, just a free gift of grace. God, I pray that this week they would be thinking about that, just thinking about where they are, <laughs> to think of their map spiritually and say, where am I? Am I a follower of Jesus who's committed my life to him and accepted his free gift of forgiveness? Or am I not quite there yet, God? And just, I just pray that you would just be speaking to our hearts on that as we continue in this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.